stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Hi, good afternoon. This is Jenny Fruma. Welcome to Leadership Matters. I bring you greetings from West Palm Beach, Florida, where it is really delightful. And I'm with Elpa Jewish Family and Children's Service. On the phone with us this evening is, or this afternoon, is um, our co-host, Dr. Cheryl G. Hi, Jenny. And also, we're really excited to have with us um, actually a guest who's making kind of an encore. Uh, Jeff Bauer was with us when we did a show from the Alliance Conference, the National Conference from Orlando last October. So, Jeff, welcome, and thank you so much for doing the show with us today. Thank you for having me, Zenny. Um, the show this evening, and then I'm going to introduce Jeff. Um, the show today really is about leadership as it means sticking your neck out. And we know that sometimes leadership calls for an all-out strong advocacy and pushing against the tide. Um, we know that leadership really calls for conviction and a commitment to being a catalyst for change to make a significant difference in the lives of those we serve. And so I'm really pleased that you're here today, Jeff. Jeff Bauer is the Director of Public Policy and Civic Engagement at the Family Partnership in Minneapolis. And um, Jeff, your experience is really broad and varied, spanning the realms of government, business, politics, education, uh, nonprofit community work development and civic engagement. And I think um, that really what you bring to this conversation today about sticking one's neck out if you're in a leadership position, you come well qualified, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> um, maybe just to start, we could uh, have you talk with our listeners out there about the work that you do within the organization as a nonprofit and also... Share with us what draws you to the work that you do. Sure, I'd love to. Um, And thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. So the Family Partnership is is 135 years old. We've been around a long time. Our mission is building strong families, vital communities, and and better futures for children. So it's it's a very broad mission. And our organization itself has very broad programming, all the way from mental health counseling services to violence prevention to uh, truancy prevention and school counseling 
Uh, and of course, our pride program that works with women and girls who are, are working to escape prostitution and trafficking. And so, um, we are a very big multi-service agency. We've been in, around a long time and, you know, for the first, you know, many decades of organizational existence, it was a, it was a social work model. It was a casework model. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of work that um, was outward facing into the community. And, and sometime in the 1990s, and our CEO always jokes about this, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, um, but the organization really shifted its mission, you know, to also really be looking out into the communities and the circumstances and the structures and policies that were affecting um, the lives of the families who we see every day. And so uh, thus was born my department in this organization, which is the public policy and civic engagement department and we do three main things we do uh the legislative advocacy work so right now the minnesota legislature is in session and i spend a lot of time stocking the halls of our capital um, but we also do a lot of grassroots community organizing work it's all driven by community members they establish their own organizing agenda every year they decide what they care about they decide what they're going to work on they build their own action plans and so we really support and try to stand shoulder to shoulder with that work and the third thing we do in this department, which I really believe is the engine that drives a lot of this change, this social change, organizing change, um, is our grassroots leadership development, our training program. And so we're always spending time um, training people on how to organize and how to do this work. And, you know, as more and more people come through that training, we're really building the ranks of um, an empowered community of people who really know how to, to fight effectively for the change they want to see. So um, that's what we do, and I I love it here. You know, the thing that, that really draws me to this work, I mean, there's so many things that draw me to this work, but, you know, I love the world of policy change. I love mixing it up at the Capitol and doing all the insider, you know, advocacy that happens there. But for me, the biggest part of this job that keeps me coming back is, you know, those days that I get to go to our capital or to a public meeting, um, you know, with community members who have been trained, who know what they're doing, um, who know how to, to, to drive the change they want to see, um, for them to speak in their own voices and to watch people be moved by that and not just moved emotionally, but moved to change policy by that. Um, that's the best part of this. So I, I joke a lot on, you know, when I, when I'm asked this question, which is, you know, the more time that I get to spend in church basements and community centers, the happier I am because that mm -hmm. means I'm, I'm, I'm training and with the community and, and, and we're making big plans together. Mm -hmm. It sounds really inspiring. What, what does that training look like that you discuss in terms of grassroots and training people to drive change? Sure. Well, the, the training itself is, it starts out very basic and it starts with, you know, what some of the listeners will recognize as pretty fundamental concepts of community organizing. You know, it's talking about things like self-interest and one of the big elements is just really discovering in an intentional way what people's interest in a particular public issue will be. We spend a lot of time talking about power and the different kinds of power. And we talk a lot about how, you know, power in itself, when you say that word to people, people will have a reaction to the word power. Mm -hmm. And some people will have a positive reaction and think power is good. You can use power to do good things. But a lot of people won't. And in particular, we found with 
um, the immigrant organizing, um, the organizing communities of color that we do, um, people's experiences of power have been profoundly negative. And it may have meant an oppressive government, um, you know, really ruining people's lives and abusing power. And so we try to talk about power in those trainings as in itself being a neutral concept. It's a tool. And it just depends on, on what you do with that tool. Um, we talk a lot about positional power, which is, you know, people who have power uh, on account of the title they hold and how that may be different than community power or power to make change and what that looks like. And so we sort of go from there and we, we walk through the process of mapping any public issue and doing the power mapping, um, figuring out who controls which parts of that decision, where you can exert influence and what it will take to do so. And then all of this, the leadership training really culminates then in, in the participants identifying their own public issue, their own community issue, designing their own action plan around it, and then implementing it with coaching from us. And so they start with basic concepts and they move all the way through to action. And, you know, the other thing that we've really done that I think is, is interesting is we have what we call our community leadership development program, which is just just the the 26-week program, but we also have it uh, for the Somali community. We have a large group of Somali immigrants here in Minnesota, and also uh, we have it, um, a Spanish-speaking version of it, too. And a lot of times what happens when people say, well, let's do a culturally specific training program is they just translate it into whatever language that is, and they say, all right, here you go. It's our culturally specific training program, but we actually spent a year on each of those sitting down with community leaders, elders, youth, business leaders, organizers, and really talking about, mm-hmm. well, what does leadership mean in your community and how might that be different than the model that we've been using? And so it's not just um, language specific, but it's also uh, built with the cultural values of per- particular communities in mind. So it's it's been really fun to see that evolve. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me as you're talking, it's almost like, um, which which I find really very exciting. We do some community engagement kinds of things and civic engagement things here at the organization as well. But you know, we those of us that also work directly with clients, it's kind of parallel process to me a little bit with regard to how we work with clients, really understand their perspective, what they're dealing with, and then how we move them and help them and facilitate and support them to find their own voice in their own treatment or their own care. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right, and that's what we really strive to do is, you know, a lot of the people who come into CSR in crisis, and their whether it has to do with their housing or their mental health or their employment status or their immigration status, they're in crisis, and their motivation is to solve a very immediate problem affecting them and their families. And we do our best to help with that. But we also really, you know, as much as we can, talk to them about, you know, there's a bigger issue at hand here that's creating this situation in your life, but it's also creating this situation in a lot of people's lives. And so inviting them to be a part of the broader systemic solution. Now, for a lot of people, that's not going to happen. They have an immediate crisis, they'll solve the crisis, and then they move on with their lives. And we'll get that a lot. We'll have people who have a problem with their landlord and their apartment, and we help you know fix that. 
and they're satisfied with that, and they're not necessarily going to take the next steps to fight for tenants' rights for all. But for a smaller group of them, they are interested in that, and they're hungry for that. And so with the training and support to do that, they become this really powerful cohort that's not only improving their own lives, but they're fighting for improvements that affect a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. I really heard what you said earlier, and, and Cheryl, I'm hoping you're going to jump in too. Um, I really heard what you said, Jeff, about kind of this movement and how people sometimes have a perception of power being like a bad thing, a negative thing. Um, we don't always like to talk about that, even as leaders, individual leaders. We don't like to talk about the power that we have with that and how that puts us in a different position. So I'm hearing you say that, and I think it's really about being a leader and, and being able to use that power, as you said, as a neutral tool. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, I think we're in a little bit of a challenging situation as nonprofit leaders, as executive directors, as directors of programs, because, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, a lot of times what happens is community involvement really is a way to implement ideas or grant outcomes or projects that we've already come up with. And so we come up with our great idea, we send it to whatever foundation, we get our grant or we get our contract, and then we sort of bring the community in and say, here's what we're going to do, and we, you know, meet our grant outcomes. But it's it's really driven by us. We still hold the decision-making power when it comes to which projects and how. And so I think the bigger challenge and a challenge we've tried to take on here at the Family Partnership is, you know, what would it look like if we really followed the lead of the community? And we may have had this brilliant idea we thought was going to be the thing, but the community came back and said, actually, it's this other issue that we want to work on Mm -hmm. that we think is important that's most profoundly affecting our lives. And, And following that lead and saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna walk with you on that journey. We're gonna help find some resources mm-hmm. to get behind this and help you put it together. Yeah. Well, that segment went really fast, Jeff and Cheryl. I kept saying I was going to bring you in, and never even mm-hmm. got the chance to do that. Well, I real great. Really I'll look forward to joining in in the next segment. Terrific. And we're join the conversation. A- Thank you, Cheryl. We're going to take a break now. Please. Um, come back and join us in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Leadership Matters. See you soon. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, welcome back to Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. We have a great guest with us today, Jeff Bauer, who is uh, the Director of Public Policy and Civic Engagement at the Family Partnership in Minneapolis. And we've been talking about leadership and what it means. And leadership often means sticking your neck out. And so we've been talking about uh, just touching on some of the risks and some of the work uh, that Jeff has been doing at his agency and community engagement. And Cheryl, I really want to hand it over to you since we didn't get a chance to hear your comments the last segment. Well, you know, first, Jenny, I want to um, commend Jeff for the work that is being done. I, I think that um, it's very exciting to hear about the um, Community Leadership Development Program. Um, love, Jeff, that your um, focus is such a community-centered approach and very empowering approach. And absolutely, you know, myself being a cultural psychologist, absolutely love it when um, we take the time as service providers to really step back and understand. And that's what I'm hearing in, you know, how you go about doing your work, a very cultural competent approach with regards to understanding that differences make a difference and then really being able to um, consider those differences, not simply in the languaging, but really, I think you pointed out, being able to understand then how do you create um, systems, programs, curriculums that will be appropriate for the population, the specific population um, that you're looking to serve. So, again, just want to really um, commend you for that. Um, you know, the other thing that really stood out that I kind of wrote down here, I wanted to underscore, you know, just how powerful it is when we, I think it's powerful to help someone improve their own life. So sometimes we do our work by really empowering someone to better position themselves. Um, and I think it's great that you also have an opportunity to empower those who really want to empower and fight for others. So, um just wanted to kind of underscore what I heard of some of the exciting things that Jeff, 
you shared and I wanted to say kudos and commend you for such fabulous work in this area of civic engagement. Well, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dr. G. Cheryl. Yeah. Um, moving the discussion along a little bit, um, I have two questions. How do you actually bring awareness to issues? I hear we've heard that you engage people, but then how do you actually bring that awareness to issues? And what techniques, some of the techniques do you use to engage others in, quote, the cause? Those are big questions. I like them. Um, You know, for us, awareness of issues really always starts with listening. That's that's where it always starts. And so we spend a lot of time just meeting with community leaders and listening to what's going on with them and what they care about and what's affecting their lives the most. And that'll change over time. You know, just a few years ago, we had a whole number of issues that would come up at these meetings. People wanted to work on a lot of different things. And then with the economic collapse and, and the recession and all of those things, you would see family focuses really narrow and they would narrow to jobs and job training and how to not lose my home, how to stay in my apartment. And so those, those things change over time. And, you know, when those issues are coming from the community, that doesn't necessarily mean, and oftentimes it doesn't mean that um, elected officials or policymakers or the people who are elected to to represent that community's interests necessarily always know those things or are working on those things or um, honoring their commitment that they made to the community during the last election or whenever it might have been. So, from that point, what happens is we have these issues. They've been identified by the community. That's when the training happens. And so we've got a body of community members. They're ready to do something. What's it going to be? And that, you know, is all the way from the door-to-door grassroots, you know, building up the coalition kind of work to training people to meet with their legislators and how to testify in a committee, mm-hmm. how to testify at a community meeting, and all of that, and, you know, it comes down to speaking for themselves, like we keep saying, mm-hmm. um, speaking what, for what, themselves. What if, what if, and maybe you've had some of this in your experience, what if, what if that cause that members of the community identify as something they want to get behind, and it seems just really risky to some of us who are more traditional kinds of social service or human service organizations. What happens if it doesn't work, or what happens if you're going to be really upsetting a lot of people? <laughs> uh, oftentimes you are, and social change work going to upset you know certain amounts of people. And you know every organization has to assess its own risk. You know that's that's part of the work. Um, a lot of us have a number of government contracts that we're dealing with, and, and a complex system of relationships that we're dealing with. And, you know, my first answer is just to be, uh, just to be upfront about those things. Um, you know, on the front end with community members, what's possible and what's not, because the worst thing that we can do is, is get, you know, a group all built up to go do something and then the powers that be at the organization say, oh no, no, you can't do that. Um, and sometimes it can get tricky and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, one of the, one of the fights we've had in Minnesota for a number of years has been over, uh, equitable hiring practices through some of our 
state contract dollars. And a great example of this is our Minnesota Department of Transportation, our highway department, a few years ago was poised to get all kinds of stimulus money from the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And they got a big chunk of that money and over the years had been um, cited a number of times for their contractors not hiring enough women and not hiring enough people from communities of color. And so we did some very direct, very hard-nosed organizing against the Department of Transportation. And in particular, even we even ended up going out to job sites and doing demonstrations at job sites with particular contractors who weren't abiding by the hiring practices. And it, it you know, without naming names, you know, turned out that several of those contractors had ties to people who helped fund our organization. Mm. And we had to answer to that. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, those things will come up at times. There are risks. But, you know, I truly feel like our mission beyond serving people is to change conditions, is to Mm -hmm. fight for justice. And that may mean at times that we have to have some hard talks with with those who support us. Mm. Cheryl, in your experience, have you seen similar kinds of things or where organizations have actually avoided taking causes on because they don't want to stick their necks out? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. I think Jeff sums it up really well when he says every organization has to assess their own risk and really consider, you know, how they're going to manage the complex relationships that are involved. Just like every individual leader, I mean, I think that from an organizational perspective or from an individual perspective, in everything we do, there's a risk. And in everything we do, we have these complex relationships that we are managing. And uh, there are certainly things, I think, at an individual level that I've seen people not take on. And I think I've seen th- I know I've seen things at the organizational level where people have just said, mm, the risk is just way too high. And as um, I, mean, I think it's wonderful if you're in a position where you um, are able to self-fund. Many nonprofit organizations aren't. And we all know that public agencies are being funded as well. So the funding streams do have a way of impacting the amount of risk that's involved. And so I think that's real. Yeah. I could see how it could get really tricky. And I I could almost see how at a board level um, it's the organization and board members represent the organization. And then what does it do to their potentially complex relationships in the community. So it can be a very complicated process. Yeah, absolutely. It can be, you know, and we've had to really establish a process here at the Family Partnership to assess at what level uh, decisions need to be made, and we actually have this whole matrix we worked out. Um, And we do really, um, we assess the potential risks and the potentially controversial nature of different stands that we're taking. And, you know, we do go to the full board if if we really feel like something, you know, is at that level that Mm -hmm. that bears that level of discussion and, and, um, and work it out there. So it's, you know, part of it too, I think, is just about transparency um, and having a process that everyone believes in and goes to. And, you know, what we do more than anything else is we go back to our mission and we go back to our programs. When something comes up that we're being asked to do or take a stand on, we say, 
does it fit in our mission and does it fit with our programming? Um, and if it does, then then we're going to do it if it's what's best for families. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that mission alignment is is really your anchor. Yeah, it's your anchor, and it's a, you know it's a great answer to any question about why are you doing this. Mm-hmm. To come back and say it's our mission to do this and to fight for what's best for these families, and this is what we're going to do. And stick our neck out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and it's funny as we uh, work with from young people to adults. Um, I think an important part of teaching self management and leadership really is the ability to do that power analysis um, to really kind of figure out what needs to happen in order to move things that we want to move forward forward. Um, Being clear on values is real important with regards to what's most important because those values very often will be what um, hopefully will drive our decision-making. What the power analysis can help us do is figure out the strategy. It's like, okay, so how do I move this forward? And how do I move it forward in the way that will um, be most effective? And what's most effective may be something that's expedient, or sometimes what's most effective may be something that's a little bit long-range in planning and and, and other alliances or collaborations Mm -hmm. may need to be established in order to um, minimize some of the unnecessary risk. I mean, some risk may be necessary and unavoidable, but after you do that power analysis, we might find that some of it can be mitigated. And, and how do we do that? So how do mm-hmm. we actually push for what we want to push for that's consistent with our values and our mission, but also we don't take unnecessary hits? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cheryl. I think that that's a lot of food for thought in terms of how we can all do it in our own way. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. And again, thank you, Jeff and Cheryl, for being here. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl G., and I am delighted to be here co-hosting with Jenny Firmer. I bring you greetings from the Neighbors House Association in San Diego, California, and Jenny is with the Alpert Jewish Family and Children's Service located in West Palm Beach, Florida. And with us on the line, we have our associate producer, Ms. Valerie Wright. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure yes. to be with you. Great. And Valerie has some fabulous questions from our awesome listening audience and our guest today, uh, Jeff. Jeff uh, Bauer is with the Family Partnership in Minneapolis, and he is the Director of Public Policy and Civic Engagement. Jeff, I've been enjoying the conversation, and again, I want to add my thank you to Jenny's thank you for your joining us today. Hi, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. So, Valerie, would you um, share with us a question from our listening audience? Absolutely. We have a question from Michael in California. Michael's question states, I am new to community building and has heard about asset-based community building. Will you discuss what what is asset mapping and if it's an effective tool for organizing communities? Great. Thank you, Valerie. Jeff, you want to give your thoughts? And that was Michael, you said? Yes, Michael from California. Michael from California, thank you so much for your question. Jeff, any thoughts? Yeah, I would love to tackle this question, and thanks, Michael, for submitting it. What a a great question. Um, So the answer is yes, asset mapping and and asset-based organizing can be very effective. And, you know, asset mapping is, is... itself um, really just the process you know some people call it strengths based organizing as well and it's really assessing in any given community where organizing is taking place really what what people can bring to the table what are the strengths that exist in a community you know often in this work especially in human and social service agencies we sometimes have a tendency to focus on deficits or on fixing problems or on focusing on what's wrong and so this is really the process of focusing on what's right about a community, where does the power lie? And so, you know, you might have in a, a community a couple people who are uh, really amazing facilitators of meetings, and that's something you need. You might have people who um, are bilingual and can be the bridges between different communities. You might have people who 
um, have lots of deep relationships with, you know, who know who everyone is in the community. Um, elders in the community are great places to go as assets because they know the history, they know the stories, they have the relationships, um, but also youth too. And so it's really just looking at your universe, um, really focusing on who can do what and who can bring what to the table, um, and then using that to, to move forward as a basis to move forward. Um, it's a, it's a, a very different viewpoint than we sometimes have um, about communities. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Jenny, anything you'd add? Yeah, I, I think of asset uh, mapping almost as what gifts people can bring. So it's looking at the individual, as Jeff was saying, individual capacities and abilities, and if they're part of organizations, what organizational resources are there. And uh, we, as you said earlier, Jeff, we tend to come to things by saying, here are the policies, procedures, and protocols. We rarely start with, let's see what resources we have, and then we kind of build from the ground up. So I think of asset mapping as identifying what gifts people bring to the table. Fabulous. Uh, thank you again, Michael, for that question, and thank you, Valerie. Valerie, do you have another question for us? I have a question from Mildred in South Carolina. Mildred says, my nonprofit has recently received a significant grant to work with the community to organize, plan, and implement a change initiative. Everyone is pushing for high community engagement for the project. I am looking at the cost, timeline, and what I believe the value to be. I should say my experience has not made me a fan. However, will you discuss the major benefits and drawbacks of initiating projects through deep community engagement? Oh, great question, Mildred. Thank you so much for sending that in. You said Mildred was from South Carolina, huh? Yes. Thank you so much. And, Jeff, thoughts for Mildred? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a, another great question, Mildred. And, uh, you know, I, the benefits to going through a, a really deep community process, the, the benefit is just the genuine engagement of the community um, will create something I think is ultimately more powerful. It'll be something that everybody owns in the end. Um, and in the long run, that sense of ownership, that collaborative sense of having built something, um, really goes a long way um, to to making things sustainable and not just die after the project period um, because there are genuine relationships, there's genuine investment. Um, and I think what you'll end up with is a project that is most relevant to people's real lives if they have a stake in building it. The flip side of that um, is, to be really honest, deep community engagement is really messy. Um, it's takes a longer amount of time. It takes a lot stronger of a facilitated process because when you get all those people around the table who want to have their voices heard, who want to have their opinion heard, they want to see their viewpoint reflected in the final product, um, it just takes a longer time and it can have tension involved. It can have cultural tension involved and all kinds of things. Um, and so you're right. It, it, it is more labor-intensive. It is more resource-intensive. Um, it requires um, some very strong and adept facilitation and organization. But um, I really feel that to, to build something that will last beyond the grant period um, and really become a meaningful part of the community, it's, it's worth it to go through that. 
Okay, wonderful, Jeff. And how about yourself, Jenny? Any thoughts you might add? Yeah, I would definitely agree with what you've said, Jeff. Uh, we have an ambassador program, which here in Florida is in our gated communities. And we have really engaged and harnessed, if you will, um, if that's an okay word to use, the skills and talents of many retirees who are concerned about their own aging in place, who want to make a difference in their own communities, give back, help, um, have their own agendas about what aging in place means. Uh, but even after a grant that we received, Mildred, uh, back five years ago, the program actually continued. So I think it's definitely worthwhile, even though it can be messy, definitely worthwhile digging deep and really bringing people to the table who uh, can find their voice and can engage with one another and create that social capital that kind of almost takes on a life of its own and continues forward. So I would definitely say that that's an important aspect of um, doing this kind of work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Valerie, I know you've done a lot of community engagement work. Any things that you might add? Um, I would ditto what both Jenny and Jeff have said. I'd also add that um, I think there are more benefits than there are drawbacks. I think the drawbacks often become the strength um, a process as you go through those things. Um, one of the things that I've seen happen in both Florida and California where I've done this work is the relationship between community residents and their elected officials and their civic um, leaders, um, businesses, how the strengthening, strengthening of that community through those processes, uh, which tend to go back to the uh, asset mapping, that the resources begin to identify themselves almost as you engage people around the process and you find people who have been marginalized come forward with um, resources that, you know, are treasures that you're not aware of. So I absolutely am an organizer at heart and um, I think that working through those processes, though they are long and sometimes really messy, <laughs> um, yield great, great results when you stay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really great. Uh, Mildred, I might just also add, I, I think when you bring so many voices to the table, I, I kind of echo what's been said already. I think making it less muddy or less um, messy is really just simply being able to have the conversations and make sure you get a lot of clarity around, one, how you're going to be together, and two, how you're going to do the work together. Um, so I think with the clarity of the agreements, um, when that's put in place, then one can begin to figure out, you know, how to do that work together. I think until then, it's a little murky, um, but the murkiness is very often well worth it because when you get it all out on the table and you figure out all that you now have to um, to bring to bring about that positive change, um, as you sort through and get clear on who's going to do what and how you're going to do it, um, then hopefully you begin to put things in place for the collaboration to move forward in a positive way. Uh, again, thank you so much, Mildred for um, sending in your, your question, and uh, Jeff, Jenny, and um, Valerie, 
for your input and your response to Mildred. Valerie, did you have another question from our listening audience? Yes, I have a question from James in Wisconsin. James' question is, how can social media tools be used to engage and mobilize low-income communities of color? Mm, Wonderful, James from Wisconsin. Thank you so much for your question. Jeff, let's start with you again. Uh, another great question. I love these today. I know. Um, I'm loving it, too. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think social media, uh, it's got a lot of promise. Um, I also think uh, sometimes um, we just have to be aware of, of some issues of access also when it comes to that. Um, and so I think it's a tool, but it's not the answer. And what I mean by that is I'll give you an example. So we... Um, the family partnership very recently, or in the past year, I should say, um, you know, some funders these days are doing these sort of competitive, like more like competition processes to have access to these funds. So we were in this contest for through one of the funders here, and, you know, we got to the finals, and then the final piece of it, they have two weeks where community members get to vote. It's sort of an open voting process, you know, for whoever's going to win. And the community who our project was dealing with was the Somali immigrant community here in Minnesota. And while the younger ones definitely all had access, they all have their smartphones, you know, they have all the stuff. Um, Jeff, I'm going to pause. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. going to for just a fast, fast, fast second, only because we've got to take a commercial break. All right. <laughs> so we're going to just put a slight comma there. James, we're going to come back and finish hearing Jeff's fabulous answer to your question because I love where you're going because I think it's reality that we live in. But stay with us, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Before we went to break, I actually had um, Jeff to put a comma in his fabulous response to James about the use of social media in engaging the community, and particularly as relates to um, those communities that aren't as affluent, don't have as, as much with regards to resources and money. So, Jeff, want to have you finish up your um, response to James. Sure. Well, thanks for that. And, you know, I would just, just finish up that, that comment by saying, you know, what we found at the Family Partnership in our experiences, again, the the social media is a tool that it tends to work really well, especially with the, the youth um, and younger folks who were working on organizing. They're, they're always linked up. They're always talking to each other. And so with some of our youth groups, we even just send out our meeting notices via text because it's the only way to get a hold of them. Um, but what we found in one particular project is where there was voting for this award was, you know, what that did because the voting was only online. That was their only option was that it left out the majority of the elders in this community who didn't have access to that, um, didn't know how to do that. And you, we had to have some real um, direct discussions with this particular funder um, about the impacts of that. And so in the following year of this contest, they actually um, integrated a couple of things. One was they did do paper ballots this year so people could do it that way. But what we also did is we opened up community spaces where the elders could go vote and get help online uh, to do so. So not only did they have access um, to voting, but they were, were, were gaining some skills to, to use the technology as well. Oh, I think that's a, just a fabulous um, testimony with regards to a way of positively impacting uh, funders' thinking and making it a lot more culturally relevant and competent. Um, fabulous. Jenny, I'm going to throw it back to you now. So thanks, thank you. Cheryl. And thanks really again, James, for your question. Yeah, yes, thank you, James. Sorry I spoke over you there, Cheryl. Um, you know, in the few minutes that we have left, Jeff, um, I just find your work absolutely fascinating. I think that it is a really special organization that uh, takes it upon itself and gets the support of the board and funders, in your case, to really stick, one, stick one's neck out. And, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because... I think that it does take a tremendous amount of courage and that capacity and ability to assess risk and um, go sometimes where it may be really uncomfortable. You obviously really, really enjoy this. I do. (laughs) And it shows, and we appreciate you sharing that. So what would you say would be like your shining moment or the accomplishment that you are most proud of? in terms of your leadership role in this capacity? Uh, well, you know, there's there's a lot of things I'm proud of. And they, they the things I'm proud of usually have the faces of community members who I've seen really step up um, and do things they never thought they could do. And in terms of an issue area, you know, one issue that we care deeply about here at the Family Partnership and we deal with very directly through our PRIDE program is uh, the sex trafficking of our children. 
And this is an issue that's serious and growing all over the country. And Minnesota, uh, strangely, is actually one of the, in the top 13 um, worst places for child sex trafficking in the whole country, according to the FBI. Um, it has a lot to do with our geography and the particular freeways that go through our state. But, you know, one or two deniable facts that we've seen over the past couple of years in our PRIDE program is, one, there's more and more of these kids all the time. Just the overall number is growing. And, two, they're getting younger and younger. And so, you know, seeing that trend, there was no way that we could sit back and just let that happen, not do anything about it, you know, do our best to serve these kids, but not try to change the situation. And so we set out a couple of years ago to pass in Minnesota what's known as a safe harbor law. New York State passed the first one in 2008. Um, so we set out to do and what a safe harbor law essentially does is say, you know, these children who are being sexually exploited, who are being trafficked, who normally were ending up in the juvenile justice system and being criminalized, or they weren't being identified, you know, a whole host of, of things happening to them, that our state needs to recognize that these children are the victims of a crime and that it's our responsibility to intervene and to get them the shelter and support and services they need. And so we brought that fight to the Minnesota State Capitol in 2011, um, and we brought it the same way we bring all of these fights. Every time we showed up at a legislator's meeting, every time we showed up to testify, you know, we had me and we had our legislative bill authors and all of that, but we also showed up with prosecutors and cops and service providers, and most importantly, we showed up every single meeting with survivors of child sex trafficking who we had spent the time with so they could feel safe and supported to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. And these girls would get up there and they would speak, and it was the hardest thing to watch and for them to go through. And what they would tell me is, I'm doing this so no other child has to go through what I went through. And we went through that whole session on July 20th, 2011. I'll never forget. Um, Minnesota signed its safe harbor law. Um, our governor signed our safe harbor law. Um, and the law changed, and, and we're going to change how we treat these kids, and we're going to fix it. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That is really huge. That is huge. The issue of confidentiality, how is that addressed? Um, you know, we, uh, we never force anyone to testify. Um, and the, the people who do testify are no longer juveniles. They're people who were trafficked as children, mm-hmm. um, who are now over the age of 18, who are willing to speak publicly. Um, to be honest, most of them, their trafficker is either in prison or the victims have been relocated to the extent that they're um, safe to speak publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, they often don't use real names. Um, we use a lot of aliases and things like that. Um, but, you know, obviously their safety is the top priority, and, and unless we can ensure that, um, you know, they don't speak publicly. Mm-hmm. And but I would imagine that preparing you know, them to testify is also a big part of the work. It is, and, you know, uh, I'll tell you, these they have more courage in their pinky fingers than I have mm-hmm. in my whole body, and there's they sort of break down two ways. You know, about half of them will say, speaking publicly about what happened to me is my way of taking my power back. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm doing it. And the other half will tell me things like, you need to understand, 
every time I tell this story publicly, I live it all over again. Mm-hmm. I go through the trauma all over again, and the only reason I'm doing this is so no child has to ever go through what I went through, and that's why I'm willing to do it. And those are the ones that kill me. You know, those are the ones that there's not a dry eye in the hearing room by the time they get done speaking. But it's powerful, and it isn't because I'm a great advocate or lobbyist that that law was passed. It's because these women were willing to come and speak and be courageous. That's that's why that law passed in Minnesota. Well, well, you know, and I want to just jump in and say, Jeff, you know, it kind of goes back to Mildred's question with regards to why take the deep dive and do the collaboration piece. You're having the foresight to bring law enforcement, bring prosecutors, bring victims, bring everyone together and organize it so that they have this collective voice that can support the policy change and, you know, really make an impact is huge. Um, so it just kind of took me back to Mildred's question on why do the collaboration. I think your story just now um, really shows what can happen when you bring a collective together in a very organized way. So huge kudos. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost sorry we're out of time today because <laughs> I feel like we could be having this conversation for another episode. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. I think what you've shared is really invaluable to us as leaders and and listeners who are are on the show with us today. And Dr. G, always Cheryl, thank you so much for co-facilitating with me. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, and um, please join us each week for Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.